Welcome to the conference room with this week's guest, Lauren Goldstein. Generally, when you start a business, you've got this skill set, you've seen the problems, you know you can solve it, and so you start doing all the things. And what that creates is business particles and a very reactive business because you're responding to other people, to other problems, etc., and you haven't actually taken a breath since starting and said, okay, let's pause for a minute and let's proactively figure out where we're going. Welcome to The Conference Room, a weekly podcast where business leaders and growth experts kindly share their experiences, actionable tips, and secrets to successfully grow a business. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It'll really help us out. And I really hope you enjoy this week's episode. I'm Simon Lader. Welcome to The Conference Room. Good afternoon and welcome to The Conference Room. I'm joined by Lauren Goldstein. Lauren is the founder and CEO of award-winning and globally recognized boutique business consulting firm, Golden Key Partnership. For over 12 years, Lauren has been a trusted advisor to Fortune 500 companies, including Apple, Nike, and AT&T, and to a variety of fast-growing early-stage businesses. Her greatest asset is helping business owners successfully transition through the gap of business operator to true business owner, from chief everything officer to powerful and effective CEO and leader. And I'm delighted to say she's found time in her, I've got to tell you, very busy schedule to come and talk to us here in the conference room. So Lauren Goldstein, good afternoon and welcome to the conference room. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, I've been so looking forward to this. Great stuff. As have I, as have I. So every hero has an origin story and you're the hero of our story. So tell me, how did you get from just starting out to now being a CEO of this globally recognized business consulting firm and being a trusted advisor to organizations like Apple, Nike, and AT&T? Hmm. Well, I've been doing this for 12 years, so grit and perseverance are definitely two keys. Um, and actually, if you've if you've ever heard of me before, you know that my path is very different. I started in the medical field, and now my clients call me the biz doctor because I help diagnose what's keeping you stuck in your business and buried and trapped and all of that. But I would say that over the course of the past 12 years, how I've gotten to where I am is through having really wonderful mentors, having an insatiable appetite to always continue learning and improving and growing. And then here's the kicker, getting ruthless with what I say no to. So over the years, I've gone from being a mile wide and an inch deep with what we offer to now, 12 years later, a mile deep and an inch wide with what we offer. And I can honestly say that every time I've killed my darlings, to say it that way, and simplified my business, simplified my service offerings, everyone has reaped the rewards. Great stuff. That's fantastic. And, and as you as you said, you you actually started out in medical school, right? I was I was in the medical field, about to go to medical school. And then, you know, when I, I worked in pediatric neurology neurology and epilepsy work. Um, research and we had a little baby come in that we treated and then the insurance company came back and said we're not going to pay for her continued care and that was my out-of-body life-altering moment where I realized that 
insurance companies are dictating so much of patient care, not doctors. And I'd always known that I wanted to make an impact and help people. And I just didn't see myself doing very well stuck in a system where I couldn't do what was best for my patients because somebody else was looking at a spreadsheet. Right. Okay. And then you took the decision from that to move into the commercial field. I did. Um, but it was actually, it took a lot, a lot of prompting from one of my mentors. Cause I was, I remember feeling very lost. I don't know if, if any of you can relate to this, where you've made a life plan, you think it's going to go according to plan. Then you get a curveball, and you're sitting there going, who am I? What am I going to do with my life? Like whether it's you've changed careers or jobs or businesses. And I remember, you know, sobbing into my grits, talking to my mentor, just feeling really lost. And he said, I think you need to be a consultant. And I looked at him so dumbfounded and I said, what are you talking about? I can't be a consultant. I, I know about tiny humans. I don't know anything about business. And he said, no, no, I hear you. But the way that you diagnose things, the way you take in all this information and synthesize it to like what's actually going on is really important for business owners to have that objective third party come in, show them what they can't see because they're too close to it. And he said, I think you'll be really good at it. Give it a try. And, you know, I was young enough and brave enough to give it a try. And here we are many years later. 12 years later, having picked all that incredible experience along the way. So tell me, when you go to one of your clients or a client reaches out to you, what are the typical pain points that they're experiencing that suggests they have a problem that you might be able to solve? What are the pain points that they're experiencing? Hmm. So typically they're either burned out or on the verge of burnout and it's either them, their entire team. Um, they're feeling trapped in their business. They suddenly woke up one day and realized that they have a job that they named a business. Um, a lot of times they come to me because they can't get off the higher fire cycle. Like they've, they've got a team, but so much still falls on them and they feel like they're just not nailing their next hires or creating the right team for them. Or they've just kept hitting their head on this revenue ceiling where they're just like, they get there and then they drop back and they get there and they drop back. And they're just like, I don't know what it is, but I can't quite get over this hump and figure out what's not working in the business. Like I know something's off, but I can't figure out what it is because I feel like I'm just firefighting every day, all day, and everything is reacting and I can't just get traction and momentum to move forward. Right. Okay. So the business is running them rather than them running the business. (laughs) Absolutely. Right. Okay. It's interesting because there are a lot of business owners that I talk to um, who their biggest frustration is they've gone from having one boss to having lots of bosses. And (laughs) They don't have, and, and like you say, that they've just traded one job where they had one boss to yep. another job where they had, where every client treated them like they were their boss. So, mm-hmm. so what steps do you, so, so kind of digging a bit deeper, what are the fundamental um, problems that those pain points seem to suggest are there? Why are people having that pain? Mm. Typically, it's for a couple of different reasons. The first is 
let's be honest, most business owners are teeny tiny control freaks, right? Like we're maybe recovering perfectionists. <laughs> we like things done our way. It's probably why we we are terrible employees. Um, and so there's a little bit of control issues that are happening where they're not willing to let go of control or they give up control and then take something back because it wasn't done right. Probably because they weren't actually clear about the definition of done, but that could be another podcast episode. Um, (laughs) And so letting go of control is definitely one of the reasons why they're having these symptoms. The other one is a little more tricky to treat, but um, generally when you start a business, you've got this skill set, you've seen the problems, you know, you can solve it. And so you start doing all the things. And what that creates is business particles and a very reactive business because you're responding to other people, to other problems, et cetera. And you haven't actually taken a breath since starting and said, okay, let's pause for a minute and let's proactively figure out where we're going. Let's figure out what our vision is, how I want this business to fit around my life instead of trying to fit my life around my business. Do I want a legacy business? Do I want a lifestyle business? What kind of business owner do I want to be? And then the third thing is really understanding that you are not your business. So there's a really interesting statistic that I think it's 80% of business owners have never thought about who they are outside of their business and what they're going to do after they exit. So everyone will exit their business at some point whether they retire, whether they hand it off to their kids, whether somebody buys it, whether God forbid, you know, they die or they're disabled, like everybody's going to exit. But we don't ever actually think about who we are outside of our business or what our business is providing us in our lifestyles. And so not having that mindset shift about you are not your business is something that definitely keeps people stuck in that hamster wheel. No, for sure. It's actually, I mean, you, you make a very, a very interesting point, and one that, funnily enough, the very first episode of this podcast, um, we were t- we were talking to um, Dr. Jonathan Baktari, who, funnily enough, echoing you, um, <laughs> he is a doctor who um, went on to grow a a very successful drug testing center, and he's got a number of other businesses that he's involved in. And one of the things that uh, that he talked about on that podcast was the importance of a business owner to eventually get to the business being able to operate successfully without them in it. You know, like he said that it takes, once you've made the decision, you put the steps in place, it'll probably take two years, but Mm -hmm. creating, um, creating the um, infrastructure and the processes and systems so that the business isn't not just isn't reliant on you, but actually you are totally superfluous. And frankly, it would operate better with you not showing up because then you can go on mm-hmm. and do something else. Or then you can be more strategic and look at ways to improve, develop, fine tune the business. But mm-hmm. if you're just in the weeds, um, I mean, it's it's a trite statement, but if you're in the business, you can't be working on the business. And so... It's very interesting that you you make um, you make a similar point, albeit coming from a slightly different perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because it's probably that fear of who am I if I'm not 
doing all of these things is probably the number one hurdle that I encounter when I work with my clients. Cause you know, sometimes I come in as fractional COO, sometimes I'm business consultant or advisor and my goal, my passion is really helping people have that true entrepreneurial freedom where they can work on the things that they love in the business and have a team that supports them and the leverage through systems and operation and have a life. And I will never forget. This is actually a very funny story to illustrate this point. Um, I was fractional COO in a, a very, very successful business, uh, almost 70 million, 170 employees. And we were having our quarterly planning. And something that I do with all of my clients is a scorecard because it's very important to have absolute clarity on your role in the business, what you're accountable to, problems it solves, how it fits in, all the things. And so we're filling out uh, the CEO scorecard and we're all doing it together. We're all doing our scorecards together. And I can just, why I'm just seeing his body language get like more and more, like I can just see the stress. And then all of a sudden he just pops out of his seat and he goes up to the board and he's like staring at the scorecard, crossing his arms. And I'm, and I looked at him and I said, what's, what's happening right now? And he goes, there's only three things on my scorecard. Like, that's it. That's all I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not comfortable with this. Like I should be doing more. Like, I don't think this is right. I think, I think I need more things than, than these three things. And it was a perfect illustration of where he'd been leading this company very successfully for a very long time, but had all these multiple hats and business barnacles and expectations and accountabilities that he'd been running around like a chicken with his head cut off for so long that the calm was now more fearful or frightening than the chaos that he'd come from. And so being able to to understand that your value does not come from the amount of things on your to-do list or how busy your schedule is. Like busy is not a badge of honor. And if you want to be an effective leader, an effective business owner, you have to be so ruthless with how you spend your time. Because if you're spending time on things that are not moving your business forward, then you're going to really get stuck in that eddy where you feel like, you're not moving forward or your team isn't the right one or the worst where I've heard many business owners say this, like I've sacrificed so many hours and blood and sweat and tears for this business. And now I don't have a lot to show for it. Mm. Like I don't want anybody to ever be in that situation. Right. No, absolutely. It's interesting that um, um, a few, a few months ago, I think I can't remember the exact Episode number probably in the uh, kind of um, hundred to hundred and ten somewhere around there. Uh, we had Tom Riley, um, who is the who was I should say um, the CEO of a couple of very very successful um, software businesses that uh, like really scaled. One of them exited to uh, to HP for um, somewhere between two and three billion dollars. So. Uh, wow. Incredibly successful CEO, and, and uh, he's now a, a, a seed investor in software companies. And he said, because I asked him what the definition of a successful CEO is, and he mm. said, a successful CEO, he goes, I know I'm a successful CEO. When I come in to work at about 10 o'clock in the morning, I take a look in my schedule. I've got nothing really going on. So I call a couple of buddies. 
um, go for an early lunch at like 11.30. And then like 1 o'clock, 1.30, um, I get back into the office and there's not much to do. So I call, you know, someone else and we go and have a round of golf. And then at 4 o'clock I go home. And he said, that is the definition of what a successful CEO is because the business is working and doesn't need me to do anything. He said, mm-hmm. a CEO's job is to create the vision and then rally the team to follow the vision. You know, mm-hmm. that he, he should be the North Star that's guiding everyone. But in terms of um, operational activity, the CEO shouldn't have to do that. Of course, it doesn't work like that. There's always stuff that, you know, problems to solve or, or, or planning or whatever. But if there's nothing broken, why get involved in it? Mm-hmm. Yep. And in fact, one of the things that I have my clients do um, when we're really trying to elevate them out of the trenches, uh, which kind of sometimes strikes the fear of God in them. So trigger warning for those of you listening, um, I, I have them take a week off and really try and disconnect from their business because so often they're holding things together, duct taping or micromanaging. And I I want to see what's going to break if they're if they're not, obviously we plan this. It's not like I tell them to do it tomorrow, but so don't freak out people (laughs) right now. You must leave now. Like we plan it out, but really like, if you want to know what's working in your business, you have to step away and let your team or your business kind of fall on their face so that you can fix those things. Right. Absolutely. I just want to go back to a point you made a little earlier where you said, I can't remember the the number that you quoted, but a staggering, staggeringly high number of mm-hmm. business owners who haven't thought about any kind of exit strategy or yeah. or um, who they are outside of the business. Okay, so yep. um, what when we think about um, people ex- or business owners exiting their own business? Okay, what are the sorts of things that um, they need to be thinking about when it comes to preparing themselves and their business for a successful exit? Mm-hmm. Well, full disclosure, I'm not an exit planner. So you should definitely have a full bench. If you are thinking of exiting your business in terms of a sale, you do want to have an exit planner, financial planner, an attorney. You want to make sure you have those people on your team. But in terms of preparing the business, you want to have operations that are very simple, duplicatable, predictable. You want predictable profits and revenue. You want a team that can run without you because if you are the business, that's not a, that's not really an asset because if we take you out of the business, there's nothing really to run it. And so you want to think about like a great question to ask yourself is if you were looking to buy a business tomorrow and your business was on the market, would you buy it? And I'm not talking because you love it. I'm talking like, would it be a good investment? Because people are looking for investments that make an impact, that are a well-oiled machine, that are pretty turnkey. And the clearer your financials are, the stronger your team is, the more stable foundation you have with your operations, the bigger multiple you'll have, or the chances of acquisition or something like that. And also keep in mind that exiting like a lot of times we think of it, you know, where I don't, I don't know if I can think of a, a big acquisition right now, but you know, let's say face, Oh, Facebook and Instagram. So Facebook bought Instagram. Like that was a multi-billion dollar 
transaction, most small businesses in the low mid market, which is where I am, so five to 50 million, they're not going to be bought for billions of dollars. But so you can have that kind of exit where it's several millions and it's an asset and that's your retirement, or it could be a lifestyle business where it's producing the capital necessary for you to invest outside of the business in the stock market or wherever you're investing. Or it could be that you're leaving it to your children. Or it could be just that you love what you're doing and when you retire, you retire and that's it. Um, And so if you're thinking about exiting, yes, your business needs to be ready, but you also need to be very clear on what your exit, your preferred exit, if you had it all your way, would look like. Right. No, absolutely. And and it's interesting when you talk about um, what the asset to the business is, because um you, i mean you gave a great example of of instagram and facebook um because sometimes that there are as i understand it and from talking to a number of people you know a number of uh incredibly qualified people on this podcast um it's clear that there are a number of reasons why one business might acquire another it could be because they have a customer base it could be because they have a product that would augment with their product family it could be Again, like you're saying, that there's a a um, a, a turnkey. I, you know, anyone else can walk in and just run this as a mm-hmm. going concern. So, what steps do you think a business needs to take to determine what its saleability? And I'm not talking about value, but I'm talking about what its saleability is. And if it's not particularly saleable, the steps they would need to take to get it in a position where it it is mm-hmm. a valuable um, acquisition target. So um, I might push back a little because I think saleable and value are actually two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. And someone who's going to do a business valuation um, is going to tell you if you have a saleable asset and if you do what that value is and if they're worth their weight, then they will actually tell you levers that... Um, will actually improve that sale. Um, like one of one of my clients does this. And um, and so when you're looking at your business and if it's saleable, you know, one of the questions that you need to ask is if I'm taken out of the equation, how does it make money? Because yeah. a lot of my clients are service-based business owners who haven't quite given up the, well, not given up, that's not the right word, but realize that they don't have to be the sole expert giver, you know, the advice giver, like you can have other people, you can just be, you know, the conductor or things really need like that extra, extra advice and you can step in. But if you have a business that's solely reliant on your delivery, it's not going to be very saleable. It's, um, it's a reason why, you know, somebody asked me not that long ago if they should by a medical practice. And I said, well, what kind of medical practices is it? And they said, oh, it's a plastic surgery practice. And I said, well, why are they selling? And he said, oh, the, the primary doctor is retiring. And I said, don't buy that because the reason that plastic surgery practice is so successful is because people go to that surgeon. And so if the surgeon is leaving, Sure, there's other partners, but you're going to lose a lot of revenue from not having that surgeon versus having a family practice, like a family medicine practice. It's very different. Anybody can do 
family medicine versus like a highly, highly specialized surgery. My orthodontist, exactly the same story. Seriously, a year ago, no, a year ago, when did he leave? Um, yeah, about a year ago, nine months, no, a, a year ago, just over a year ago. Um, my orthodontist um, moved to a different city. And uh-huh. he was he was beloved by the community, beloved by his patients and so on, right? He left yeah. and mm-hmm. he sold the business to another perfectly nice guy, yeah. uh, but it wasn't Dr. Mosquitz. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, sorry, I'm going to take my business across the street because, you know, my loyalty wasn't to this particular um, uh, company. It was to the guy that I was dealing with. So, unfortunately, and I think a lot of other people, because Dr. Moskowitz was just such an awesome orthodontist, uh, people were like, yeah, see ya. And, uh, and, you know, unfortunately, I I think that the uh, the guy who bought it may have rued his decision. So, uh, but yeah, definitely take your point. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, another thing that... uh, that I wanted to kind of dig in a little bit was, and a, and a point you referenced very, very slightly that I want to kind of um, put the microscope on a little bit is um, when you're talking about control and, and business owners and leaders being kind of in control, like wanting to be in control, yeah. which suggests perhaps that a lot of CEOs unwittingly might be the bottleneck of their business. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what would you say would be ways that um, people that are running businesses need to, to purposes, get out of their own way and stop being that bottleneck? Mm. Oh, this is a juicy question. Huh? Uh, so the first is really what we do with our clients is we do an activity audit to really figure out what's, what's happening with your time. And then there's something that I do with my clients when I, where I start, when I start to see them bottlenecking is I'm asking why, like, why are you, why, why does this need to go through you? Like, what's the reason? And most often it comes down to two feelings, fear, like fear that their name's on something and they're not doing it or trust. They don't trust the people who they've hired to do the job like they're going to do it, or they're not fully trusting the team that they love their baby like they love their baby. And now, of course, there's a few myths to bust in there. Number one, nobody is ever going to do it like you do it. But that's the great news because unless you are an expert at a hundred things, which I have never met a single person that is, you want somebody that's going to do it differently and better than you like to have the best business you can that runs without you finding people that are complementary to you where their strengths or your weaknesses is going to be pivotal the second part is most people want to do the right thing and succeed at their job I mean you've got some bad actors but it's very few and so trusting your team that they're going to do their absolute best and that if something gets messed up, it's not an emergency life-changing thing that you might think it's going to be. In fact, you know, one of the hardest things that I had to learn as a business owner is to let my employees make mistakes. Because if you spend this whole time just kind of 
bubble wrapping them, then when you do want to take a vacation, they have no idea what to do because you have unknowingly enabled your entire team to come to you for solutions because you broke the third cardinal rule of being a CEO, which is you are creating other leaders. Like, yes, you are the visionary. Yes, you are creating that high level strategy, but your other job as a business owner is to create other leaders. And by not asking them how they would solve problems or trusting your team to solve problems without you, you're creating this cycle of codependency that's just going to keep you bottlenecked and stuck in the business and also keep your team from really being high performing. Absolutely. And, and, uh, Something that we definitely found um, at Salisi, my my headhunting firm, is that um, in the early in the early days when I was just, I mean, I I was one of the founders of the company, mm-hmm. and um, my role at the outset was to lead the business development team. Okay, because that was mm-hmm. really what my background was, um, and um, my co-founder was the one that was kind of um, responsible for the kind of resourcing and recruiting team. So. Um, the challenge that I that, that I had at the outset was because I had a very particular way of doing business development, um, and I was training, and I, I think I was a good, I think I was a good trainer and an okay manager. Um, I was a poor leader. Like that step mm. up from that, and what it created was a culture of if anyone wasn't sure what to do, they would come to me with a problem. Okay, mm-hmm. and then I sat down with my mentor. Um, and this, I'm going back to, I don't know, 2008, nine, maybe this was. Um, and I was like, how can you help me tackle this? And what he said was, never allow people to come to you with problems. Only allow mm. them to come to you with proposed solutions. Yeah. You know, and, he, and, and just that one piece of guidance completely changed the mindset, both of myself and also of the people. So, uh, and, and he also said that the imperative of anyone who works for you is to take work off your plate, not to give you work. All right. I remember well, there was one time I hired a a, a junior, um, uh, like an administrative assistant. All right, and yeah. um, she just kept coming into my office and going, "I've got nothing to do. Give me something to do." And I found myself looking for things for her to do. Right. Yeah. Which was giving me more work, and it was like, this isn't right. This 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 shouldn't be how it works. And, and funny enough, going back to Dr. Baktari, the guest on on episode one of the podcast, I don't, I'm not sure if he ever said it, if he said it on the podcast, but definitely conversations he and I have had. He said, everyone in a business, everyone in the business should have a four word job description. Make my life easier. Mm. Okay. So everyone that works, everyone that works in, in whether it's Lisi or the conference room or the other um, organizations I work with, they ha- all have a forward job description. Make Simon's life easier. That's all that that's their job description. Simple as that. Yeah. You know, when people yeah. ask, Yeah, I need to see a job spec. Okay, if you got a pen, <laughs> we can write it down, you know. And and uh, so and that's how I mean it may be a bit of a of a of a, a an overly simplified way of, of of dealing with this, but that's certainly the way that we found um we've helped me no longer be you know, that, that kind of bottleneck and, uh, and getting in the way of other people being successful. Yeah. I love that. Um, there's two things I want to dig in really quickly too. The first is it sounds like you inadvertently made one of the mistakes I see a lot of, of business owners make, which is hiring a worker bee when you needed a player. So worker bees are a necessity for sure to get the work done. But if you have a lean team, 
and especially as a business owner, you should never be managing a worker bee because worker bees are task oriented. They really don't work unless you've given them something to do, which ends up you're doing two jobs, your job and thinking of things for them to do. And they also are an expense. Whereas players, they come with a plan. They're very project-based. They come to you with solutions and they also create profitability because they create time and revenue for you. So that's very a very important distinction. And then the other thing that you reminded me of is with uh, my team and my clients, um, and actually the the company that I mentioned before uh, with the the C- the CEO that had a panic attack. One of the biggest problems that I had is that the CEO had enabled everybody to come to him with a problem, and so we initiated what I call the rule of three which is you can come to senior leadership if you've done one of three things. You have Googled it, you have checked the internal resources and knowledge base, or you've asked a teammate. If any of those have come up dry, then you can come to senior leadership with your question, but you also will get the question back to you of what would you suggest we do? Because I'm not going to sit here and and solve the problem for you because that just continues to perpetuate the cycle of we can't make a decision without talking to Lauren or whoever's whoever's in that CEO seat. Yeah, no, I love that. I just want to come back just on the worker bee versus the uh, versus the player, okay? Mm-hmm. Because I think that's um, just thinking back. I think you've 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 got it spot on, right? Um, but how does one distinguish between the two? And maybe to play even further downfield, how does one know or identify? that it's a worker bee rather than a player when they are hiring or interviewing them? Mm -hmm. One of my favorite questions to ask is, (laughs) um, and this will very quickly tell you who you are looking at on the other side of the table or the other side of the Zoom, but you give them a goal. So let's say, um, I don't know if I can think of one off the top of my head. Let's say you want to improve customer retention by 50%. So you would say, we have this goal of improving customer retention 50% over the next six months. What would your plan be to do that? Now, if you're talking to a player, what they will generally say is, well, you know, I'd first come in and see what we're doing now. And then based on my experience with XYZ, you know, we implemented this and I think this could be a good idea. And and they're going to come to you with a plan and ideas versus a player will <laughs> We'll we'll say something like this. Well, you know, I'm happy to do whatever you think would be best. Right. Or they'll say, that's a great question. Um, I would get the team together and then whatever we decide, I would, I would, I would do that. Right. So, so to sum it up, really, kind of the difference between someone that's proactive and creative and, and thinking things through rather than someone that's just reactive and waiting to be fed what to do. Exactly. And it's, I get this question a lot because I, I unfortunately come into companies where there are team members that got you to that certain level, but they may not get you to the next level. In most cases they don't. And so the business owners, you know, having a hard time letting somebody go, they're like, well, do you think we can make this worker be a player? I very, I think I've seen this happen successfully one time. Normally, worker bees—that's just their personality—and they're, they're, they'll be just someone who does the work and does a great job. 
but doesn't really have that big picture thinking. And so it's very important to know who you need up front. And it's why the scorecard is such a huge piece of the work that I do with my clients, because when you're proactive and you have absolute clarity on who you need, including the traits that they have, which is part of the scorecard, then you're going to increase the likelihood that you actually have the right hire in the seat to do the job that you need. So you can either use it to proactively hire someone new or use it to tune up your team and give them the clarity you need to help them be as successful as possible and really move the business forward. Right. That's, that's awesome. That's really awesome. And um, th- there have been a few times over the course of the conversation you used the word scaling and a couple of times mm-hmm. you used the word growth. Okay. Are they synonyms in your mm-hmm. world or do they mean something different? Not in my world. In my world, they are very different. So uh, growth is generally where you are still figuring things out, you're adding revenue, but you're you're still getting that proven process, product, adding team members. And, and the way you know you're in growth is because your revenue and your bottom line, your expenses are, are, very, are very close. It's kind of a photo finish every month. And so a lot of times entrepreneurs will say, God, I just can't get ahead. And it's because you're in that growth stage where you need you need more technology or systems or areas to fulfill on what you're selling versus scaling is where you have that proven product process. You've got the team like it's it's starting to become that well-oiled machine, which means that you now have this place where your expenses pretty much are staying very similar but your revenue is increasing, which means your profit margin is starting to grow. And to me, that's when you're scaling. You're doing more with the same amount of resources. Or if you do add resources, it's much more strategic. You have a lot more thought process with step costs versus, you know, in those first early stage years, you're just doing all you can to market, to do sales, to add to your team. And yes, it should be strategic. But it's a lot more of the profit margins are 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 very little until you really hit that stride. Okay, great stuff. So you've seen an awful lot of um, best practice, an awful lot of mistakes um, when you talk about companies becoming more efficient and CEOs not being the chief everything officer. But if we could distill it down, okay, what would your mm-hmm. top three tips be? for somebody to be successful in this very broad area? Oh, that is a very good question. (laughs) Uh, To distill it all down into three steps, I would first say my, my best piece of advice is to take a step back and really get clear on what kind of business you're building. Is it a legacy business? Is it a lifestyle business? And then to that point, what kind of business owner are you? Are you a business owner? Are you a business operator? Are you a business leader? Because each of those look different. But once you understand the kind of business you're trying to build and create and what kind of business owner you want to be, that's going to help set you up for success. Because the thing that I hate to see is you've done all of this and then you wake up one day and you realize your ladder was on the wrong wall. So that would be first is to take a step back and get clear on, on really where you're going. The second is to be ruthless with what you say no to. 
Um, and the way that you start doing that is by not to be um, inflammatory, but by delegating everything, like really, truly what, what can you get off your plate to delegate to someone else who can either do it better, more efficiently, or at least it's not you. So figuring out what your hourly rate is, even if you're not hourly and figuring out a way to delegate everything that is not high level, deep CEO work is going to really help. And then I would say the third part is really understanding that you are not your business and and asking for support from your team. So um, I had a call actually with a client yesterday. This is a really great example. <laughs> so she's got a team and you would be surprised how often business owners think they have shared vision and direction and goals with their team, but they really haven't. And so we, she had a particular business challenge that we were talking about. And I said, okay, I want you to go to the team and tell them that this is the business challenge we're having and see what they say and like ask them how you're going to solve it together. Because I think so often we think we have to solve all of these things together or on our own, but we can actually solve them more effectively together. So she went to her team and said, this is, this is the problem we're having. What do you think the solutions are? And she came back. She's like, you wouldn't believe how many ideas they had. And they were actually really great ideas. And And so I think there's a certain level of humility that you have to have as a business owner that, yes, we are the experts. Yes, we've put in the blood, sweat and tears, but we have put really smart people around us for a reason, whether it's a mentor, whether it's your team. And so relying on them to solve the problems with you will help you go much farther, much faster. Right. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Yeah, I I remember um i can't remember who it was now um but a, a previous guest said that a leader should look at every single task and decide am i the best person to do it and almost always the answer is going to be no and yeah. then either automate it delegate it or outsource it yep do delegate defer delete yes wow i like that i'm gonna write that down okay. <laughs> great yep. stuff okay so Lauren, what's next for you and for your business? Mm. Well, what is next for me is I've really been exploring what it would be like to create a place for entrepreneurs to go and connect and have fun. So I don't want to give too much away, but something that's been on my heart for many years is the mental health of entrepreneurs and how we don't have a lot of places to go to be around other entrepreneurs when the stuff hits the fan and like get out of it. And so I'm, I'm exploring how to bring more fun and connection to entrepreneurs so we can support each other because it's, it's lonely at the top. And unless you've got good networks and good friends and mentors, sometimes it can feel really lonely and isolating when you're having to deal with all these big issues. Um, as for Golden Key Partnership, we're going to keep doing what we're doing and helping business owners get out from underneath their business and have that true entrepreneurial freedom so they can have a bigger impact and have more fun. So fun seems to be the theme. Right. That sounds fantastic. And uh, if people wanted to learn more about you or Golden Key Partnership, what's the best way for them to do that? 
So probably the best way to get to know me a little bit better is since I'm already in your ears, head on over to the Biz Doctor podcast. I'm over there twice a month with a new episode. And if you want to grab our scorecard, which I've mentioned a couple times, it's over at goldenkeypartnership.com. I'm also on Instagram and it's Lauren Goldstein or LinkedIn. I am an elder millennial, so I am not on TikTok or really any of the other platforms, but those two places you can find me. I do respond to emails, sometimes bat signals or smoke signals, but I'm definitely not on TikTok. Okay, great stuff. Well, Lauren, this has been an absolute joy. I mean, I've, I've learned so much chatting to you and uh, just understanding about uh, there are things that you were talking about that I think re- I you know resonate with me and uh, um, not just historically but presently as well. So uh, there may be a couple of things that I'll need to uh, kind of dust off and think through uh, to improve my business. And I'm sure people listening to this will feel the same way. So this has been a hugely valuable exercise. And I'm really, really grateful for you coming in. So Lauren Goldstein, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us here in the conference room. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Coming up next week on the conference room, I'll be talking to the king of WhatsApp networking, Mark Jarrett. There can be a WhatsApp group about anything. And in some ways, the more niche the subject matter is, the more likely you are to have a, a meeting of minds tech won't cut it it's far too broad and generic but if it's agri-tech or femtech or martech or any of the other countless techs out there then you're more likely to have a meeting of minds thanks so much for listening we really appreciate it and make sure you visit our website theconferenceroompodcast.com to see all the other episodes and to get access to the show notes and resources mentioned in this episode If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your network or better still, go on to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other podcast platform and leave us a five-star review. It'll only take you a moment, but it'll mean the world to us. And please don't hesitate to tell us which topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. To get in touch, drop us a line in the comment section or send us a message on social media. Just search for The Conference Room Podcast or me, Simon Lader, on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or TikTok. I'm always open to a conversation. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you'll be alerted when a new episode goes live every week. Thanks so much for listening to The Conference Room, and until next time, keep talking.